Hey friends, Nels here. Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. Today we're in a message series called Christianity Light. Oftentimes, I find that my faith can be watered down or really just not going anywhere. But today we're exploring what it looks like to move into the transformed life that Christ intends for us. And I would invite you to tune in. I've been riding a bike since before I could walk. My mom used to push me in one of those racing strollers. When I was five, I traded in my sippy cup for this bad boy. When I'm riding, I like to listen to the sound of the wheels. I go through every single gear during my warm-up. Each gear has its own sound, and that's what I'm listening for. A lot of people like to carbo load before a race, but for the 72 hours leading up, for me it's nothing but energy gel packs and Gatorade. No water till the day of the race. Training wheels? Oh, you mean stabilizers. Every time I go out, I make sure my stabilizers are locked in place. When I went to get these put on at the shop, they were like, are you serious? And I said, are you serious? About safety? Why would I use stabilizers? If I don't, I might fall down. I can't even imagine taking them off. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. I think of the bike as an extension of myself. That includes all 10 speeds and all four wheels. Someone asked me once, don't you want to beat your PR? And I was like, what's that? It's really important to get the best gear. I've been testing out the newest bikes and the most aerodynamic racing suits. The extra wheels let me push harder and go faster. One time when I was like 13, one of the stabilizers fell off. And I was scared for like a second, but I got right back on track. It's really just like my stationary training bike at home. So it's the best of both worlds. Our team's gearing up for the Tour de France, and I just passed my drug test. Bonjour, Paris. Good morning, Journey. Great to see you on this July 4th and uh, enjoy this fabulous country we get to live in and the freedoms that are ours and uh, rejoice and uh, be grateful for that. We're in a, uh, the ending of a series on Christianity light. The idea of Christianity light is if we want to live lightly in our Christian faith, uh, some things that uh, we can do. And it's kind of from a negative standpoint. So today, our thought is this. If we want to live in Christianity light, then don't set a goal that requires sacrifice. Or let's look at the discipline of freedom. Don't set a goal that requires sacrifice, or let's live in the discipline of freedom. Our scripture comes from uh, Galatians chapter 5, where Paul has been talking about freedom. And in verse 1, he makes a remarkable statement about how important freedom is to your life and to mine. He said, it is for freedom. Catch that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you so carry in your heart a desire for freedom as you unfold the word to us today. I pray in Jesus' name that we will capture your heart for us, 
both as a congregation and as individuals. And we will, we will aspire to that as you aspire for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And for freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, uh, I come from a very musical family. My mom taught herself to play five instruments. She has played all over Northwest North Dakota. She's now 90. Still after breakfast, we'll go down in the nursing home to the piano, sit down and play by ear for about uh, 30 minutes. People tell me when I go to visit my mother, people who even work there, that if they're discouraged, they'll pop in and just listen to my mom's playing for a while. She is really remarkable. She's virtually blind now, but it does not impede her ability to play musical instruments at all. Now here, we have some musical instruments. Over here, a keyboard. But you know what? I'm not free to play that keyboard. I'm not free to play that keyboard because often freedom is a result of choices I make. And when I could have learned to play that keyboard, I was playing baseball. Now there's no great sin in baseball There is often discouragement if you're a Twins or Braves fan, but other than that, there's no great sin in baseball. But when I made that choice, I also made a choice not to be free to play that musical instrument. And you and I all the time are making choices. We're watching now the Olympic trials. And when I watch the Olympic trials, I always think of the choices those people have made. When Dorothy Hamill, before she won the uh, gold medal in figure skating, was being interviewed about her life, she said, well, it's been years of this. When my girlfriends called up and said, hey, let's go and get a pizza, I'd have to say no. Because I, I practiced my skating at a rink that opened up at 8 in the morning, and I had to be there before it opened up so that I could use it. So she said, I was up at 4.30 every morning. On top of that, I had to watch carefully the regimen of my diet. And so I had to say no to my, the out, outing with my girlfriends. I had to say no to pizza, which I love. I had to say no to sleeping in. Now, we know all those because we tend to focus on discipline. But I'd like us to focus on the freedom aspect of discipline so we could get a glimpse of why we would discipline ourselves for that. There's actually four aspects to freedom. If you looked into Genesis chapter 1, 1 verse 1 through 3, you'll find four aspects of freedom. And uh, some of them might surprise you. Number one is that freedom is the ability to sustain a healthy relationship. Say, what? Yes. Freedom is a commodity of relationship. You can get in bondage all by yourself, but you cannot get in freedom all by yourself. The nature of God is relationship. He stands in Trinity. Personal freedom as God designed you and I does not occur apart from healthy relationship. Freedom is a commodity of relationship. So when you think about whether healthy relationships are an optional issue, please remember you're thinking about your own freedom, not just whether you're going to have a healthy relationship with someone else. Can I repeat that? Freedom is a commodity of healthy relationships. 
So the Bible tells us that God would come down in the cool of the evening and walk with Adam and Eve. And he brought Adam and Eve together. Adam had never seen an Eve before. And Eve had never seen an Adam before. What if they were, what if they were allowed to look for one another on their own? They could have ended up hanging around with a zebra. Because they didn't know what each other looked like. God brought them together. So freedom is a commodity of relationship. Here's the second aspect of freedom. Freedom is the ability to carry responsibility. Responsibility is not an act of bondage, it's an act of freedom. God said to Adam, he said, now here's the garden, you care for it and work it. If I see somebody who constantly cannot work, keep a job, these are not people who are living in freedom, they are living in bondage. It's not uncommon to run into people who just one after another, one job after another, and you know, it doesn't take much. Well, the boss, the boss, I didn't like the tone of his voice today, you know? If I quit every time I didn't like the tone of somebody's voice in this line of work? No. Freedom is the ability to carry responsibility. There's a third aspect of freedom. Freedom is the ability to handle or exercise authority. So God says to Adam and Eve, I want you to rule, that's the word he uses, rule over the garden. And he said, I want you to name all the animals and whatever you name them, that's what they're going to be. He said, I want you to exercise authority. So now we got, we got three things so far. Freedom is the ability to sustain healthy relationships. It is the ability to exercise authority. It is the ability to carry responsibility. And fourthly, it is the ability to embrace choice. So God says to Adam, now, now look, here, here's this garden. I've, I've created the whole thing. It is magnificent, and it's all yours. Work it. Rule over it. Care for it. Have dominion. But by the way, there's a tree in the middle of it. And all this garden will give you life, but that tree will give you death. You can eat of all these other trees, but don't. In fact, the, the NIV says you must not. You must not eat of this tree. Now, why did, why did he put that choice there? Because it says he created us in his image, and if we're in his image, then we must have choice. Now, he stacked the deck against a bad choice. Unless we're too hard in Adam and Eve, surely you've looked at your own life enough to know that sometimes God stacks the deck against the bad choice and you make the bad choice anyway. But even though he stacked the deck against the bad choice, you can have all of this, just don't, don't eat of this tree. Adam and Eve exercised choice. And so those are four elements of what it means to be free. Maintaining a healthy relationship, carrying responsibility, 
exercising authority and using choice. So let's pick one. And we're going to look at choice this morning and just uh, dig out a little bit of what it means to exercise choice as an aspect of the freedom. By the way, if you were to look at the fundamental inner working of how the United States functions and how it got started and what the founding fathers had in mind, you will find those four things. Authority, responsibility, choice, relationship. Those four things will come out in, in even the founding, the documents of our founding fathers. But they come out as well in scripture and how we navigate life. Now, Let's, uh, let's, let's look at how you grow just to give significance to the issue of choice. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to write on the board a little bit. And uh, here's, here's, how, here's how we tend to grow. Now, some people think, sometimes we think we grow this way. It's kind of a, here we are, and now there's this slow, moderate ascent to this place. Oh, there might be a dip once in a while, but maybe a mountaintop, but mostly it's that. But actually, we grow this way. We're going along, and as we go along, we're gathering data. God's talking to us. Other people are talking to us. We're reading. This is the impulse of the Holy Spirit. We're gathering data, and we come to a place where we have to make a choice. Now, if our choice is righteous, then this happens. There is this explosion of growth in our life. This growth leads us to another plateau, and we start gathering data from God and others and the Scriptures and our walk with the Lord and experience And this leads us to a choice. And if we choose righteously, this happens. And that's actually how we grow. So the importance of choice is enormous in our life. And often, we don't actually even see these. We don't realize. We'll make a choice. I didn't realize when I was playing baseball, I was choosing not to play piano. I just thought I was choosing play baseball. But when it was all done, I was actually choosing baseball and I was choosing not to play piano. And part of spiritual wisdom is understanding these points of choice in my life. So I don't treat them as just mundane pedestrian moments. That in fact, in those moments, I am making significant choices that will have a destiny in my personal growth. So let's look at four issues of freedom. We, are, we have the ability to choose four things. First, the ability to choose life. God created us to thrive. When you read the kind of language in Genesis 1 to 3, it is a language of thriving. And choosing life means I am choosing to thrive 
according to my personal identity. So my wife loves uh, flowers, and uh, she bought a rose bush. Now, this is somewhat high country in a short growing season, and the winters can sometimes be severe, but she's going to give it a shot. And right now, it's planted, and there are 10 rosebuds starting to come on that rose bush. There are no wheat kernels coming. There are no wheat kernels coming because that's not according to the identity of the rose bush. If that rose bush is thriving, it isn't producing wheat kernels. It is producing rose blossoms. And now all these rose blossoms are coming. And you are designed by God. We all have things that are common to all of us created in God's image and things that are unique to to us and both based on our commonality and our uniqueness, we are intended to thrive, but you and I have to choose to thrive. Now, how, how would I choose? Remember now, sometimes if I want to choose this, I have to choose this first. So if I want to thrive according to my identity, then I get to choose the atmosphere of my life. The environment of my life, at least to some degree. For example, why doesn't the why don't the farmers around here grow pineapples? We were in Hawaii a while back, they grow pineapples. Are the farmers here not good enough? Don't they know how? In fact, the farmers here don't grow pineapples because this environment won't raise pineapples. And often, you and I aspire to things in our life, but we won't create the atmosphere for those things to grow. In fact, we sometimes create the atmosphere for just the opposite things to grow in my life. So once we've decided what is common to all of us and unique to to me, When I thrive, then am I willing to create an atmosphere for that thing to grow, for it to thrive, for it to blossom? I'm choosing life when I do that. And many people give almost no attention at all to the atmosphere of their life, to the environment of their life. Like, who do you hang around? Even many Christians simply hang around people for what, who, who, of which they could say, oh, we had a great time. Now, you know, I'm, I'm for having a great time. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to take some time off, and then we're going to go into the symphony, and we're going to barbecue with our, our kids first, and then go into the symphony, and then have the fireworks, and we're going to have a great time. And so I'm happy that we're going to have a great time. But are there people in your life that you have chosen to be in their life and them and you because they match what you are aspiring to? You're trying to control the environment of your life and match it to the goals of your life? Or do we, or do we have our goals here and hope we reach them while giving no attention to the environment? No, you you want to give attention to the environment. You want to choose life. 
There is another choice. You can choose sacrifice. One of the things that always amazes us about the Olympics as we watch the Olympics trials is the amount of sacrifice those young men and women have gone through. I mean, how does someone 19-year-old become the best in the world at 19? I was still learning to tie my shoes. I mean, at 19, it is, it's, it's staggering to me what that person has done to become the best in the world by the age of 19. And I was watching uh, Phelps and Lochte swim a couple days ago. The two between them have 33 Olympic gold medals. You know, you'd just think it'd be exciting to even be good enough to get into the Olympic trials. And some people are delighted just to get... get Pass the trials into the Olympics, but to have 33 gold medals, or 33 medals between the two of them. You and I can choose to sacrifice. Now, if life is learning to thrive according to my identity, then sacrifice is releasing, catch this, it is releasing for others something I value. It is releasing for others something I value. Time, resources, relationships. It is releasing for others something that I value. And so Nehemiah, he's the cupbearer to the king in Persia, which today is Iran. And some refugees come through from Jerusalem. And he says, how are things in the old country? And they said, things are not good in the old country. The walls of Jerusalem are torn down. We are at the mercy of marauders and invaders. We are humiliated by our enemies. And the Bible says that Nehemiah, in this very cushy job, which it was in that culture, went off by himself and he wept and he pleaded with God. What was he doing? He was saying, I am choosing, I am choosing to give up something that I value, my own security, my own well-being, for the sake of someone else. And so we can choose life, and we can choose sacrifice. There's another thing we can choose. We can choose, freedom means the ability to choose to serve. Serve means I'm honoring the needs of another. I'm honoring the needs of another. Now, I grew up in a religious culture where actually only the denial of your needs was considered spiritual. If you were to say, well, these are, these are some needs I have, this, well, let's, let's help you learn how to give them up. See how dehumanizing that is? What did God say in the garden? He looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for Adam for you to be alone. He honored the need that he had placed within the heart of Adam. 
and I can choose to serve others. In doing that, I'm honoring their needs. And you and I, we have need for relationship. We have need for life purpose. We have need for godly character. All of us in in here have at varying degrees in our lives those three needs. And God chooses to honor those needs. That is not an immature thing. It is no less immature than saying, I've decided that I'm going to work at reducing my need for oxygen. You'd think, you can't do that. You will physically collapse. Well, some of us will collapse in other ways if we do not honor the needs that God placed in us. And because we all have these needs, God gives us the desire to serve others, which means honoring their needs. I took my mother to a funeral. My mother's 90, so she didn't have many friends left. And uh, a woman she's known for 70 years, Rosie Hauser Carl, died. They, they knew each other back when they were, when my mom was in her late 20s. They used to sing together in church and work together in the Sunday school, and uh, Rosie died uh, three weeks ago. The funeral was in Williston. So we do, I, I do some work for our, uh, for our Butte campus of Harvest Church, our, their Butte campus, and so we were in Butte last Sunday and then drove from Butte to Williston. And uh, out in front of the church on Monday was her son, John. Now, John's a pastor. Rosie was a Syrian. And... Uh, she married a, a man who became a pastor, and then in his late 20s, he died mysteriously. He was at a, at a church conference, and he just died. And uh, got sick one day, and two days later, he was dead. And so she was a young woman, now a single mother with two small children. She moved back to Williston. She's Syrian, which means that there are three. That meant that, meant that in a city of 12,000, there were... 11,090 Germans and Norwegians, three or four Swedes, and a couple Syrians now. So she's a Syrian. She's a single mom in a day when there aren't many single moms. She doesn't have enough education. And so John is telling me that he'd preached this sermon recently in Fargo. It's a very thriving church in Fargo. And uh, he was talking about how we serve others. He says, so, so here's my mom in these dire straits and this little church that I grew up in, Little Holiness Methodist Church in Williston, North Dakota. I think at its height, that might have averaged 55 people on a Sunday. So that would be like the first five rows here. So if you didn't come, we all knew it. I wonder where he's at. But they got together and they got a little money and they got her a little apartment. So she had a place for her and her two kids to live. And then she had to go back to night school to get enough education to get a good job. And so Maude Davis, I knew Maude Davis, and Maude Davis babysat for free her two kids in the evening so she could go to school, Rosie could go to school. 
And then he said, and I, ne- I never knew this, and then he says, Stace Long, which is my dad. Now, in those days, my dad wouldn't have been a Christian. He said, we had this old Plymouth, and my dad, who could fix almost anything, he says, Stace Long kept that car running. So evidently, even while he wasn't a Christian, he was part of miracles. Because he said, you change the oil, and he'd take the brake pads, and he'd fix the engine, and... So he says, today, John says, the ministry and effect my mother had over all these years, she ended up in education, became a principal in Trenton, North Dakota, was, uh, won an award for one of the top uh, school principals in the state of North Dakota, and the ministry he has had in this dynamic church in Fargo, he says, I can trace back, among the influences, I can trace back to this little church in Wilson, North Dakota, and Maud Davis, and stays long. So if you hear the disqualifying voice of Satan telling you, you're not good enough to serve in any way that can make a difference, there will be hundreds of people in heaven because Maud Davis babysat and Stace Long fixed a car and a little church that did almost everything poorly took care of what the Bible calls a widow in her distress. You are not disqualified from serving. So you can choose life and you can choose sacrifice And you can choose to serve, honoring one another's need, and you can choose love. Now, what is love? This is at least part of the definition of love. Love is when I so identify with you that my welfare and your welfare become one. Love is when I so identify with you that my welfare and your welfare become one. Nehemiah could not imagine him staying in Persia in safety while his countrymen were in distress. He couldn't imagine him having one set of one welfare and his countrymen having another. When my welfare and your welfare become one. That's what it means to love someone. Now, interestingly, as we finish up, those four things, love, sacrifice, service, and life, are the four ingredients of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life. So the point of choice for you and for God is that we might experience love, sacrifice, service, and life. Why don't we bow our heads and...
set our things aside as we finish up this morning. With our heads bowed, let's just think about this thought. Would you with me? God invites you and I to choices. It's part of our nature. It's who he's created us to be. And the great choice of our life is to choose Jesus Christ. To choose life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you can affirm and identify yourself with that truth today. Right where you're at, you could pray and you could simply pray that verse. You could say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Lord, thank you for giving your son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for my sin. Thank you for putting my needs first. Lord, I choose Jesus Christ today. I invite him into my life. I want the life that he offers in Jesus' name. And if you want to pray a simple prayer like that, we're just going to wait for a minute while our heads are bowed in prayer and our eyes are closed. And you just have that conversation with God. Father, thank you for your kindnesses to us, which are new every morning. Thank you for the life you give and the ability by your grace to choose life. For these who slip their hands up, I pray you'll cement that decision and that prayer by some external confirmation. We thank you for your life in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.